And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So we're in week two of a series called Born of Light. We're looking at a very familiar chapter of the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. We, we know that chapter because of one particular verse. That verse is John 3.16. And uh, we're not going to talk about John 3.16 tonight, but you get some brownie points, Melanie, for, yeah, br- brownie points for that, yes. Um, Jim's going to be preaching on John 3.16 next week. And there's a good reason why we love that verse so much. It's a beautiful verse. But before we get there, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about everything that goes into what we believe in that verse. And the challenge for Nicodemus is that Nicodemus is thinking conventionally. And we like to think conventionally. We have conventional wisdom, right? And usually conventional wisdom is pretty helpful, right? Conventional wisdom would say, if you walk off the edge of a cliff and you're not in a Warner Brothers cartoon, you're going to fall down. And if you're in a Warner Brothers cartoon, just don't look down and you won't fall down, right? So we know those sorts of things, right? Um, And if you ever find yourself in one of those, please tell me about it, because it sounds like it'd be an awful lot of fun. But but we have all those sorts of bits of conventional wisdom. A bit of conventional wisdom from this last week would be something that happened on Monday night. I I was amused. I, I, I read Jim Krenning's Facebook that night, and he said he was having his annual bonfire out in his front yard, and for some reason there were all these little creatures showing up wanting candy. Right? What, what, was, what was Monday night? Halloween, right? And, and so if you went trick-or-treating, do we have anyone go trick-or-treating on, on Halloween? Yeah, some trick-or-treaters? Okay. What happens when you go trick-or-treating on Halloween? What do you need to do? You need to be safe. That's good. Uh, Luke? Yeah. Kathy? Get a candy bag, right? I don't have a candy bag. I have a, a mug here. But uh, I have a mug. But yeah, a candy bag. And then you show up at the door and you say, hey, give me all your candy. Right? Is that what you do? No? 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 What's the convent? You like that, Tim? You think that's what we should do? Yeah, yeah. That, that sounds pretty good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's... I, I understand that's not common in every place, but here in the, our region, certainly, yeah, you're actually supposed to offer a joke, be ready for it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, if you show up at the door and you knock and you're waiting for that candy and you don't have a joke, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then what do you say? There's a particular greeting for the evening. Trick or treat. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. There we go. There, oh, yeah. So, Chris, here, have a piece of candy. Uh, so we have conventional wisdom. We also have conventional wisdom on kinds of candy, right? Like um, certain candy is really good. What's good candy? Snickers. Snickers. Peanut butter cups. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was another one? M&M's. M&M's. Oh, M&M's are good? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. Chocolate bars all the way, yes. Uh, so uh, now there's one piece of candy that seems to have fallen into ill repute. Uh, you know, there are people that just beat up on it every single year. What is it? The candy corn, right? If you're online, don't you know this? I mean, people make fun of candy corn over and over again. Poor candy corn. Now, here's the problem with conventional wisdom. Sometimes it causes you to miss out on something. Like, if you went over to our candy dish we've had out the last few weeks, you may have seen this candy corn, and you didn't take it because you thought, candy corn. But here's the secret about this candy corn. This isn't just regular candy corn. This is scripture candy corn. So for one thing, it has a wonderful little scripture verse on it, but it's also made with real honey. So not just the average candy corn. This is the good stuff. (laughs) But see, if you... If you subscribe to conventional wisdom, you just leave it there and just sits there. Anyone want a piece of, want a bag of candy corn? Uh, hey. uh, uh, Ellie? Hey, I'm testing my aim. Anyone else? Candy corn? Okay, all the rest of you are, oh, Leah, there we are. I uh, almost made it. Sorry, Leo. <laughs> he's not only uh, taking care of slides, he's trying to catch my bad throws. Um, but the rest of you clearly are subscribing to that conventional wisdom about candy corn. Well, maybe you'll change your mind because here's the thing. Here's our problem. We fall into conventional thinking, earthly thinking about things because we've heard it said and it seems to be the case. And then when God comes right in front of us and smacks us over the head with heavenly wisdom, we're not ready for it. So we're thinking earthly. That's the problem that Nicodemus is facing. And that's the problem that Jesus is going to challenge Nicodemus about tonight but also the one that he challenges us to think about too. Where are we falling into conventional wisdom and missing out on the grace of God? And so as we come to God's word, let's go ahead and come before him in prayer and ask for his guidance. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as those who think earthly thoughts. We, we think about how this world is in its brokenness and, and we want to process everything in that sense. We want to, to think about it as it is, and yet we we read your word and you call us to something different and we cover it up with more conventional wisdom, more earthly wisdom, because we think that's what's true and somehow it has to fit into that. We miss out on what you're doing. Lord, would you help us to hear your grace tonight, to have it applied to your hearts by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, The first thing that Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand in our passage tonight is that conventional thinking leads to conventional results. That sounds straightforward enough, right? So let's go ahead and take a look at John chapter 3, verse 9. There we are. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, just a little bit of review from last week. What is Nicodemus talking about when he says, well, how can these things be? Jesus has just said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. We thought last week a little bit about how that fits in and what that would look like and how Nicodemus might actually be getting a little bit more of it than we often give him credit for, that he's getting the sense that Jesus is saying there needs to be an actual conversion. There needs to be something that changes in us. It's not enough to simply be born of Israel like Nicodemus was or to know a lot of laws like Nicodemus did because Nicodemus was thinking, I'm, I'm righteous. I, I know all these laws. Maybe I can learn a few new laws from Jesus and then I'll be okay. 
Jesus is saying, no, you need something else. That's where we left off last week, this, this need for a wholehearted change. And, and where Jesus is challenging him now is saying, Nicodemus, you're, you're questioning this, and I, I know you're questioning this for a particular reason, which is you don't even understand how the things of earth work. And, you, and you, yet you're thinking in those terms. You're thinking in terms of, well, if I need to do anything more than what I've already done, it needs to be yet another bit of earthly wisdom. Here's another set of morals to follow. Here's someone else I need to associate with. Here's what I need to do. Nicodemus was the teacher of Israel, and yet he didn't understand the very things of the heart of God that he was supposed to be teaching about. So often when we talk about God, we fall into those same traps. We're, we're talking about things, but we're, we're putting God as the one doing it, and yet we're plugging in earthly wisdom into all this. And, and so we're saying, well, God says you should do this, and God says you should do that. And sometimes we're even actually saying what God says we should do, and yet we're forgetting what we need to do first. And that's exactly what Nicodemus was doing. Because you see, what Nicodemus was teaching, a lot of it was perfectly true. Should we do the Ten Commandments? Yes. A lot of the, the other laws, some of them, and that's a whole other topic, but there, some of the laws were specific to Israel, some of them were specific to temple worship. But the overall moral code that we find in the Old Testament, was that still true? Jesus says emphatically, yes, that's still true. It's as true as if you, if you go and knock on a door on Halloween, you need to say trick or treat if you want a piece of candy. But the problem for Nicodemus and the problem often for us is that we, we get that part. Okay, I need to show up. If I want candy, I show up at a door, I knock on the door, and I say trick or treat. But now imagine if all of us left here tonight, and, I, and you, uh, I've been talking enough about candy, you think, oh, I need some candy now. And, and you ignore the candy bowl here, you think, I don't even need to go there because I'm going to go to my neighbor's door. I have a costume still from last week. I'll put it on. I'm, on, I'm going to knock on my neighbor's door and say trick or treat. How do you think that's going to work? Not, not very well. They're going to call the police and say some weirdo here is, is at my door, knocking on my door a week after Halloween saying trick or treat and he won't leave because he wants candy. <laughs> what we do is we take God's law and we have God's law and God's law is good and it's true. But we're, we're going and we're knocking on the door on the wrong day of the year because we don't understand the part that makes it all work. Nicodemus had this law, but he didn't understand how to have the heart of God working in him. And, and so he was knocking on that door and knocking on that door, but it wasn't ever going to provide him with any candy. It wasn't going to provide him with eternal life because he could knock on that door all he wanted, but if he didn't get the first part right, it wasn't going to work. But the conventional wisdom, if something doesn't work, is we, we double down on what we're going to do. If laws are good in God's eyes, if doing what's pleasing to God is good in God's eyes, then if I don't yet have salvation, well, I'll just do more laws. I'll just find more. I'll talk to somebody who has an innovative insight into God's law that gives me 10 more things to do, and maybe those will finally be the ones that push me over the top. And I think when Nicodemus says, how can this be? And he realizes that Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you don't just need to add a little bit more on top. You need to convert. You need to experience something totally different. There needs to be a break with everything that's been in the past, Nicodemus. And he's saying, well, how can this be? I'm a teacher of God's law. I know the Lord of Israel. I know the God who made the world. Jesus, how can it be that I need something that's a complete break from where I've been? Because thinking of all that earthly wisdom, 
You think you have all of his earthly status, and Jesus is calling him to something totally different. Here he is, he's supposed to be teaching about the heart of God, and he doesn't understand that he hasn't yet grasped the heart of God. How can he teach it if he doesn't know it? I'm reminded of, of a saying my cousin likes to say. He says, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you always got. And it's kind of funny, isn't it? I know that saying, and really, it's generally true. And yet, how often do we do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result instead? Maybe the hundredth time it's going to work. I'll just keep knocking on neighbors' doors on the week after Halloween until someone gives me candy. Well, maybe someone finally does, right? They just say, oh, okay. But generally speaking, here's the problem. Nicodemus is looking for more conventional wisdom, more of the way that things have always been done and how you relate to the Lord knowing that things don't quite seem right. He knows he wants to learn more, and so he's looking for more. But here's what he's doing. He's looking for more of the same, and so what is he going to get? He's going to get more of the same, too. He's going to get more failure. He's going to find himself further and further out of accord with God's law and further and further away from God's heart. But it's so hard when you're talking about something that's completely out of what we're used to. We had Halloween this week, but we also had something else this week, which was really abnormally warm weather. Was it, and I, I know people are saying, wow, this is so wonderful. Actually, I have to say I felt good when I heard someone say, this is just weird. Because everyone was enjoying this warm weather, and I'm thinking, I don't even know what month it is anymore. I mean, it, it's November, and yes, this is really pretty, but I, I, you know, should I be getting my swimming trunks out? I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be chilly out, and, and I'm hot. You turn the air conditioner on in the car, and it's, it's disorienting. And when God calls us from a complete, to a complete break from where we've been, it's like 80-degree weather in November. It, it, it should be refreshing, and yet it's confusing, and we don't know what to do, and we think, God, ah, just give me what I've always had, because now I at least know what I'm doing with it. Nicodemus doesn't want something totally different. He wants something that improves what he already had. Maybe he wants 50-degree weather, but no drizzle. You know, or, you know, my ideal once we get to November, how about some beautiful snow? And if it's not snowing, it's like 50 degrees. If it's snowing, go ahead and be 20 and keep the snow on the ground for a while. But if it's, going to be, if it's not going to be snowing, just get rid of the cold weather, right? It's perfect. Snow, warm. Snow, warm. Perfect. We have little adjustments we want, but Jesus is saying it's going to be something totally different, and it's confusing. And so here we are, we gather as a church, we gather as church here at Little Hills, we gather as churches around the world, as the body of believers, and, and we gather, and what do we do? We come into church and we say, I have all this conventional wisdom that I've learned in the world, I've learned in my job, and some of it's really good, some of it's really true, and I'm going to take that and I'm going to apply it to the church, and what we need to do as the church is do more of the things that I do at work nine to five. I need to do more of the things that I read about in the newspapers. I need to do more of the things that I read about in the self-help books. And so we say, well, more people aren't coming to know Jesus, and so what should we do? Well, let's go ahead and get some management guru to explain how you grow an organization. I'm not saying there's, there's absolutely vo no wisdom in that. In fact, there's a lot of wisdom in it, but here's the problem. We start saying, well, what we need to do is we need to have 
Rage a few years ago, we need to have sticky programs, the sort of programs where people come in and, and they just can't, they're, they're so involved they can't get out and so they stay. Well, here's the problem with that. Does it work? Maybe sometimes, sometimes not. On an earthly level, on a conventional wisdom sort of level, but here's what it doesn't do. It doesn't transform lives. One thing transforms lives and that's God's word. And if we're not starting here, if we're not starting after the heart of God, we can apply all the conventional wisdom we want. We're still going to get failure. We're going to have people that are great at being involved in an organization. Our numbers go up, looks good in the charts, looks good in the annual meeting, looks good in the demographic surveys of the area. But you know what? What? Satan would love for that to happen. Because he would love nothing more than full churches that never transform a single life so that everyone comes to church until they die and then they're eternally separated from God. That's exactly what Satan would like. What does God want? I'm sure he wants us to be drawing people into the church. Our goal should be to see churches growing, but our goal should be to see people growing in the wisdom of God, to be growing in knowledge of God's heart. Not growing in how many people are in the seats, not growing in, in meeting certain returns on investment of programs, but seeing return of hearts to God. That's so different from what our world says, but it's what God calls us to. And so Jesus says conventional wisdom leads to conventional results, but godly wisdom leads to godly results. And that's what we see as we turn to the next couple of verses. Jesus goes on, he says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus says, here's the problem, Nicodemus. What have you been doing all your life? You've been going to people who are on earth and, and think in earthly ways and they're seeking to protect earthly systems of wisdom and asking them what you should do to get into heaven. What do you need to do? You need to go to the only one who's ever been in heaven that you could ask. Now, Nicodemus, we might say, well, he's partway there. He's actually with Jesus, so he's in the right spot. He's on the right track. But he's on the right track and yet still trying to push it into that mold like we so often do in church. Still trying to make it earthly because the heavenly is too hard to understand. It's too confusing. It, it feels in, in our conventional thinking too messy because it's not clean and simple. If you just do these 10 things, you're okay. How many church small groups and Sunday school lessons and, and sermons over the years, and, and not all these are bad, again, but how many of them are 10 steps to or five steps to? And sometimes those are five or ten great steps, and so I don't want to dismiss them. But you know why I think we like those so much? Because if you give me five steps or ten steps, I can check off step one, step two, step three, step four. Nice and clean and easy. Nice and earthly. If you say, know the God of the universe, be in relationship to him, have his spirit working in you, well, how do I quantify that? Am I at 80% Empowered by the Holy Spirit today, 70%? Is my, my Holy Spirit involvement in my life uh, fluctuating on an upward trend? 
It, it doesn't fit our earthly thinking. Because God's not calling us to inputs and outputs and, and, and quantifiable things. He's calling us to a relationship, to know Him. Relationships are messy. Relationships aren't black and white and, and, and nice and clean and measurable. And it's not just something I check off a list and I'm done with. Not what Nicodemus is looking for. And, and too often, it's not what we're looking for as Christians either. Because the other is more comfortable. It's a nice 50-degree day where you can put on a sweater in November and everything feels like it's supposed to. Rather than, do I need shorts today? Hmm. Jesus says, though, you need to listen to me, Nicodemus, because here's the thing I can tell you. No one has gone up to heaven and come down to report about it. But guess what? I've come from heaven. Now, Nicodemus may have been thinking some people actually had, because here was the rumor of the day. The rumor of the day was, where did, where did Moses get the law? Sure, he went up on Mount Sinai. But he said, well, when he went up on Mount Sinai, maybe he ascended into heaven. And he went into heaven, and he came before God in heaven, and he got the law, and he came back down. And so he ascended into heaven, descended, and provided the law. And so it went. There were a number of different people over the course of the Old Testament that the, the rabbis of Jesus' time were thinking, well, maybe they actually ascended, and that's where they got all this wisdom they had, and then they descended. Jesus said it's not going to work that way. It, it works one way, which is that God comes down and reveals what's going on. That's the only way it's going to work. And, and so if you're, if you're looking at human beings and saying, well, they've been places, they've been up in heaven, and so now we need to listen to this person, it's not going to work. What you need to do is listen to God. It's funny how they, they, they had this thought going around that this had happened, and, and yet if they actually paid attention to the word that God had given them, they would have seen it hadn't happened. Take a look at, at Proverbs 30, verse 4. We looked at the wisdom of Agur in a steadfast series earlier this year. He says, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. The answer is, well, no. To the person at the time, well, well now we know. We know Jesus' name, but at the time they didn't. And that was because no one had ascended to heaven. No one had been up there and, and could report back. And yet here's the thing that happened. Even though the very word of God said no one had done it, they were thinking, but, but surely someone had to go up because the only way they're going to know this stuff is if they go up. God's not going to come down. The important people don't come down to the little people, right? I mean, the king doesn't come down and, and hang out with the peasants. The boss doesn't, the, the executive of the company doesn't come and sit with the, the new interns. That's the kind of stuff, you know, we, we know that. So God of the universe coming down, no, he, he had to have called someone up to his office. But that's not how it works. How often do we force God's word to say things it doesn't say and ignore the things it does say because we think, well, this is how it always works. And so Agar said, had anyone gone up there? No. No. But they said, well, we know better. Someone surely went up there. But now someone had come down. God's Spirit had been sent through the prophets, but now the very Son of God himself, God incarnate in the flesh, had come down and was ready to teach. And the question for the people of Israel was, was very simple. 
Are you willing to break out of the conventional wisdom and embrace kingdom wisdom, or are you going to hold on to what makes sense to you at this moment? That's the question for Nicodemus, but it's a question for us today as well. Are we willing to break out of our comfort zone of how the world seems to work to hear from the only one who has come down and told us how things work in, in the world to come? Most of us have spent at least a long time here in St. Louis, and anyone else after 2013 and the riots in Ferguson kind of frustrated with how many people around the world view St. Louis? You know, I remember I was teaching at Lindenwood at the time, and, and I had a group of new students. They were, they'd only been in the, in the city for like two months, and suddenly there's, a, there, there's all this unrest going on. And they were hearing from their friends from whatever part of the country or the world they'd come from. They, we were on international news. People, my students that were international were getting calls and, and emails and texts from their friends around the world. What are you doing in that place called St. Louis? It's so dangerous. You need to get out of there. Yeah, I know you're in class, but run before you die. And it's kind of funny. Maybe it's not quite as dramatic anymore, but you still hear people and they talk about our city and it's like you'd think that it wasn't safe to go anywhere in this city. All I hear is the little bits on the news when, when something happens again. And you think, if you're going to get advice on, on where to go in St. Louis and whether you should come to St. Louis and so on, don't talk to someone in New York who's read a Wire report on, on how there was unrest here six, seven, eight years ago. I want someone to, to call me up or to call someone else up who actually lives here and, and loves this city and, and says, well, what's it like there? What, what can I experience? Is it good to come there? What Jesus is saying is, Nicodemus, you're you're thinking in terms of someone who's only in a distant land reading a a little excerpt of the news. And that excerpt of the news is, here are the things that God loves for people to do. But you're missing the part that God wants you to actually experience being loved by him. That's where you need to start. You're not going to please him simply by doing his law. You're going to please him by loving him and letting his spirit move you towards his law. It's a mystery. But God hints at it over and over again throughout his word long before Jesus even comes. And we see a picture of that in in the book of Numbers and in the the incident that, that Jesus references about the serpent. Take a look at Numbers 21. It says, From Mount Hor they set out by way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. We loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned for, we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. We see several things happening here. One is is that conventional wisdom again. The, The people have been brought out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they're out in the wilderness, and they're following God, and they say, but everything was at least predictable in Egypt. We knew what was going on. 
we, we had access to food we liked. We, we're not really sure of this stuff that God serves in the cafeteria out here. It just isn't nearly as good. It was so much better in Egypt. Yeah, we were breaking our backs every day, being whipped, trying to make bricks, but at least we had good food when we got done. At least we knew where we called home at night. Now we're out in the wilderness. And so they grumble against the Lord and against Moses. They say, this is too weird. We, we want something predictable. So God sends these, these serpents and they're biting the people. And, and the people realize, okay, we've made God angry now. So Moses, you're the one that, that talks to God. You talk to God. And so God, God answers Moses and, and, and he doesn't answer maybe the way we would think. He doesn't just remove the serpents. He says, okay, Moses, you're going to make a serpent that you can put up on a pole. And whenever someone's bit, I want you to have that person look at that, that pole. You might think that's a really weird thing. If God wants to cure the people, he could. Moses has prayed to them. What God wants is the people not to just think, well, we have this, this leader and he talks to God like all the other leaders of other nations. And if we come to him when we've messed up, he's going to fix everything. When we've fallen into conventional wisdom, we go to him and we do some more conventional wisdom by going to our leader. God wants them to actually have to wrestle with who he is himself, themselves. You want to be cured of a serpent? I'm going to have Moses make something that you're going to have to look at yourself. When you're bit by that serpent and that's stinging and you're, you're afraid you're going to die, you have to decide, are you going to trust what God has said to do and look at that serpent or are you going to try to do something else that you think might work more conventionally? Because what's it matter to look at a depiction of a serpent? Well, in and of itself, that serpent did nothing, right? It was just a piece of metal or a piece of wood. But the God behind that serpent would heal the people. They wouldn't die. He offered them salvation from that physical ill. And now as, as Nicodemus is coming to Jesus and saying, how do we get closer to the kingdom of God? How do we fully experience the salvation of God? In other words, how do we, we survive the snake bite of sin that is killing us? And Nicodemus thinks, well, Jesus, you, you do miracles. Maybe you can heal some people. Maybe you can give us some more more rules then and we'll follow those rules and we won't sin as much and then God will like us. Jesus says, you're going to look at another serpent, but not not some bronze serpent from the past. You're going to look to someone else lifted up. You're going to look at me when I'm lifted up. Lifted up on the cross. That's going to seem even more ridiculous from a conventional wisdom standpoint than anything that you thought was, was crazy before. I mean, I'm sure God made, had you make a, a, an image of a serpent and you looked at it and because you looked at it, you were healed. But now you're going to look at someone who's tried as a traitor to, to the nation and is dying and then's dead, a killed insurrectionist, and that's where you're going to turn if you want salvation. That doesn't sound like a very good plan, does it? Not when we really think about it. Sure, we, we've heard it for enough time, it doesn't really shock us anymore, but think about that for a moment, how ridiculous it sounds. Trust the person, the Roman Empire, that powerful empire is so powerful it can kill, and will probably won't kill you if you follow him because they think that he's a traitor. That's what Jesus calls them to do. Take a look again at verses 14 and 15 of John 3. Jesus says, And as the 
As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus, you want to know how you're going to experience eternal life? You're going to look to me. You're not going to look to just some laws I'm going to give you and you're going to do a little bit better job and you'll, you'll meet the 90% threshold for passing grade and, and it'll all be okay. I'm not even going to move it down and say, as long as you get 70% or 60%, there's a D, right? A D grade. Okay, as long as you get a D in life, you're okay. Oh, that'd be merciful, right? Jesus says, no, you're not going to do any of that. What you're going to do is you're going to look to me. You're actually going to look to me. As you look to me, you're going to receive eternal life. We've been bit by sin. And whatever poisonous or venomous creature we might encounter in this life, whatever we might face that potentially could take our lives away, sin is far worse. Because sin takes eternal life away. It pulls us away from the God of the universe and pulls us into darkness. What does it look like to be born again? It looks to be one who looks and says, I'm in this pit of darkness. I can't get out of it. I'm dying with this venom in me. I'm going to turn to one who is lifted up. Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Isaiah 52 and 53 would have been really hard to understand when they were first given because it talks about, on the one hand, a servant who's going to be lifted up and exalted and yet one who's going to be despised and rejected by men. How can that fit together? And yet, what do we see in Jesus? We see exactly that. Because as he was lifted up at the pinnacle of rejection on the cross, he was doing the very act of faithfulness to his, his, his heavenly Father. He might be exalted and every tongue would confess, every knee would bow before him. It's not conventional wisdom. It looked foolish. Look foolish to follow him afterwards. I'm sure it would be really easy to talk yourself into. Sure, he seems to have risen from the grave, but did he really rise from the grave? Am I seeing things? Could this be... I don't know how to make sense of this. And in that wait, can you imagine that wait when you're waiting? Jesus has been crucified. He's dead. He's put in the tomb. Do you follow him or do you say, I've made a mistake? How often do we feel like that? We think, is Jesus really alive? Have I just bought into something that I shouldn't have? And it feels like, well, there's a lot of things that seem to be working better for people in this moment. Maybe I should do those instead. Jesus calls us to faith. One of the interesting things about Nicodemus' story, we don't find out exactly where Nicodemus lands, but we do see two more encounters with Nicodemus over the course of the Gospel of John. And the first one is the, as the leaders and teachers of the law are plotting against Jesus, he argues at least to follow the law and provide Jesus with justice. And then what do we see again? After Jesus is crucified, Nicodemus is one of those who goes to collect the body. I don't know exactly where he lands, but I'm pretty certain we get a hint. I think Nicodemus wrestles with this and wrestles with it over time and finally says, wait a second, I think I got this, Jesus. It's really hard to give up where I am, but I'm going to be known as the one who is going to stay faithful to you. To 
today, we, we read through the Gospel of John, and what do we see? We don't see a spectacular thing. We don't spend time praising Nicodemus, but we do see this. We see someone who hears what Jesus says, keeps coming back to it and wrestling with it. He's not a superhero of the faith, as we read about him. But neither are we. Jesus is asking us the same question. Based on where we are, the circumstances we have, what are we going to do with this non-conventional wisdom of the kingdom? Do we try to make it conventional and make it more palatable to other people? To, to those who are self-righteous or are very pious and religious in some sense, do we try to build up our, the laws that we follow so we can say, look at how great I am. I, I'm righteous and moral and I follow all of God's laws. Like me, please. To those in the world who are more worldly, do we kind of try to soften Jesus and, and, and make him not really care about following his law at all? It doesn't really matter if we do things that are pleasing to God or not. It, it, you know, Jesus just loves everybody and he, he you know, is lost in the Gospels, but he really did write Kumbaya and, and, and that's exactly all that we should do is just feel good about each other and feel warm, fuzzy thoughts and it'll all be okay. Are we going to go with this difficult challenge It's funny, we overcomplicate what Jesus says to do because we want to make it simpler. When you think about other people and you're thinking about whether they're Christian or not, you hear someone say, well, I go to church. And you think, well, is this person a Christian or not? What would you fill in the blank as the thing that makes them a Christian? Tells us a lot about our own heart and where we are with Jesus. Because what does Jesus say is the thing that makes us a Christian. It's experiencing that relationship with him. It's being born again. It's experiencing the transformation that breaks us off from the world and puts us into his kingdom. And will some of those other things come back into play? You know, there's a lot of conventional wisdom we need to follow. If we don't pay the electrical bill for this building, we wouldn't be live streaming right now. We'd be completely in the dark right now. It's, not, it's dark outside thanks to the end of daylight savings time. We'd be completely in the dark. So some conventional wisdom is good, but where do we start? That's the real question. We can filter through worldly wisdom. We can filter through keeping God's law, but if we're not doing it with the Holy Spirit in our hearts, if we're not doing it knowing Jesus, we're in an awful lot of trouble. Here's the simple, not simple truth that Nicodemus needed to wrestle with. You need a Savior. Here's the simple, not simple truth we need to wrestle with. We need a Savior. And we think, well, okay, we need someone who's going to tell us how to be. What we need to understand is that Jesus is saying, I am that serpent on a pole that you look at when you're bit by the the serpent of sin, when that snake is coming after you time and time again, and, and you feel life draining out of you. What do you do in those moments? You look to me. So simple. And it feels so not simple to our brains. But may we embrace that simple, not simple truth and experience that life-changing power from our God and then share it with others with that same beautiful simplicity. May we spend our energy, our lives, calling people not just to do some things that sort of seem like Jesus, but to actually know Jesus. Pray with me, please. Father, we, we struggle with this truth. It, it's such a beautiful thing that all we need to do is look to our Savior. And yet in our, our human 
abilities and our human wisdom and our human weakness, we, we want to add to it. Lord, would you help us to cling to the truth of the cross that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus, anyone who places uh, our lives before you, will be saved. Lord, for anyone who might be here tonight, anyone who might be watching tonight who has not yet experienced that, pray that tonight might be the night that you nudge that person with your spirit into your kingdom to experience that relationship. And for those of us who have experienced that, Lord, would you remind us of it, that we wouldn't add so much to it that we start to lose the joy of it. But we remember each and every day who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.